0: Right, so episode two, and uh, recorded in a slightly more echoey room this time round. I guess the uh, benefit of being in a uh, co-working space doing this is you find a different room every time and you make do. Proper startup style. Um, And Rich and I have actually just been talking about how much we hate the sound of our own voice, which is uh, obviously an incredibly ironic and disappointing uh, fact when you are publishing a podcast.
1: Yeah, well, you do have a particularly croaky voice.
0: Anyway, so we've got an interesting guest today. We do. Um, She's not even 30, I don't think. It's kind of sickening.
1: No, yeah, that is. And she's got an MBE, which is brilliant. I feel like a lot more of our guests as
0: we go along this journey have an MBE or a CBE. Yeah, the titles
1: get grander and grander. Yeah, and of course they culminate with a royal prince. Exactly. So, well, uh, yeah, so Alice Spentink, fabulous entrepreneur in herself, setting up Entrepreneur First. Um, We go into the highs and lows of her journey Starting uh, the one of the UK's top incubators, um, and you know working with some brilliant companies. Yep, she's awesome. She's a lovely woman. Um, I think less less from us and more from her. So taking you into
0: today's episode from Runway East Studios in London.
2: Welcome to the Secret Lives of Leaders.
0: Today's guest is one of the UK's most impressive women in tech, and all things entrepreneurship. She started her professional career as an intern to Tony Blair, but there's no evidence to date that she influenced the war in Iraq, so don't worry. Is that fair to say? (laughs) No comment. No comment. Okay, so following a stint at McKinsey, she started a meta-entrepreneur journey with Entrepreneur First, which is based around the very concept of helping others through the journey of entrepreneurship with a tech focus. Fondly known as EF to its friends, but no longer officially due to a similarly popular institution with the same initials in the US, they've already helped over 350 individuals build 100 companies with a total valuation of $500 million. As if this isn't enough, she's also the co-founder of the Code First Girls free web programming courses for women in university. An advocate for the entry of more women to the tech field, she was named one of the 50 most inspiring women in European tech, by the inspiring 50 organization in 2015, and has just been awarded an MBE by the Royal Family for services to business. She also just closed a new fund of over 40 million pounds to help graduates build companies. So 2016 has been a busy, but amazing year for her. They say never ask a lady her age. So instead, I'll just tell you that she's accomplished all this by the age of 30 and doesn't look a day over 29. Welcome to today's inspiring guest, Alice Bentinck. So hello to you, Alice.
2: Thank you. Hello. Thank you for
0: having me. A pleasure. So, first things first, and to get you in the mood and to throw you off topic, obviously, so you're immediately uncomfortable, please answer these quick fire questions Cats or dogs? Dogs. Wrong. Sorry. Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin?
2: Neither. How no, can you even answer that? Just do it. Neither. No, I won't.
0: <laughs> um, Accenture or McKinsey?
2: McKinsey. Liar.
0: Tony Blair or Theresa May? <laughs> Tony Blair. Um, yeah, that's fair. I'd probably go with him as well. Uh, gin or vodka? Jen, favorite musician.
2: Oh, Theresa May. Theresa May. Listening to Son. Son. Don't know. How you, I don't know how you say S O H N at the moment. But oh, interesting. My
0: okay, Edgy, um, CEO of a ten-person company or CEO of a hundred-person company.
2: Uh, it's all about scale. Hundred-person.
0: Okay, London or elsewhere.
2: Depends what for, but London you get most things.
0: Okay, most impressive founder you've ever met.
2: I think Siraj Kalyan who founded Climate Court. And sold it for a billion is uh, really impressive. He was one of the first twenty engineers at Google and left. Everyone thought he was crazy, uh, and then went on to build his own billion-dollar company, which I think is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that is very cool. And person you aspire to?
2: Um, having recently read her autobiography, Emmeline Pankhurst, the founder of the Suffragettes or the leader of the Suffragettes, wow. she is unbelievable. Yeah, like she got completely roughed up by gangs of men repeatedly while she was kind of uh, mm. fighting for her courts. Um, And she did something that was completely unexpected of her uh, at that time. And um, yeah, if I could even be 10% of what she's like, that would be awesome.
0: Before you started Entrepreneur First, you worked in Tony Blair's office. Was that helpful for you with regards to where your journey has taken you? Uh,
2: Yeah, I think the the really interesting thing was, it was just after he had left um, left Prime Minister, stopped being Prime Minister. um, And I think understanding what a world-class leader looks like, somebody who's been a leader on a world stage, Uh, I think in terms of now leading a very small company, um, there's lots that I was able to learn from that and kind of see from being that close to it, which is pretty cool. Uh,
0: Next up, McKinsey. I can't wait for your non-political answers here. So what did you do there? Uh, Would you recommend it to people? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Or are you just too scared of the consequences to give an opinion on the record?
2: Um, I think, well, I met Matt, my co-founder at McKinsey, which uh, was definitely... um, uh, one of the amazing parts of McKinsey, and I think the people in general, um, being surrounded by super smart, super ambitious people that were um, willing to work hard and get stuff done, um, that was that was a great way to start my career. Uh, did lots of work with companies in and so this is sort of 2009-ish who were thinking about tech and thinking about technology um and back then it was like oh e-commerce should we do e-commerce do you think that's going to be a thing um which seemed very (laughs) you know it's 2009 that should have been obvious uh but i suppose it was a useful lesson in terms of how big companies think about technology and how long it takes them to think about adoption Mm. um so yeah it was it was a useful experience
0: okay um that is a uh, as as detailed an answer as i imagine we're going to get out of you for that so you you neither loved it nor hated it
2: um i think being surrounded by lots of super ambitious and smart people uh i think if you can make that true for the entirety of your career you're winning um and i suppose that's that was part of the inspiration for ef of how can we create a uh, group and community of people who are all dedicated to doing something you know crazy ambitious with their lives um so yeah it was it was a useful useful uh, couple of years so is that
0: what basically sparked the idea for entrepreneur first was it like what exactly mm. gives someone who's never started a company before the idea to start a company mm. that helps people start companies it's quite meta so did you just watch inception <laughs> a few times and come up with the idea
2: uh, it's quite meta. Um, so if you think, so we started in 2011, which was when Tech City was just becoming a thing and Silicon so Roundabout was just becoming a thing. So people were beginning to talk about startups. Um, and I suppose part of the McKinsey experience was going through uh, university and being presented with four career options um, from which you could you could choose. And uh, it was broadly, you know, law banking, consulting, accounting. Um, and Matt, my co-founder, had done a year at MIT and had seen the kind of excitement around startups. And it wasn't people who were necessarily really experienced going to start startups. It was you know young technologists who, had, who were just crazy ambitious and wanted to try their hand at building something. Um, so the combination of those two things, thinking about actually why do we have such limited career options in the UK? Um, and how can we help people get excited about building a startup and founding a startup? Um, but when we started, we were a not-for-profit, we were a not profit community interest company. We tried to incorporate as a charity, but they wouldn't let us uh, due to various reasons.
0: Did you find that even more complicated than just running a full profit?
2: Um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the community interest company structure. It's quite restrictive. Um, but it was also partly because uh, we wanted to do this kind of education piece around becoming an entrepreneur. But there was never any belief that that would actually lead to startups. Um, We thought maybe that would happen, but I think in the ecosystem from uh, the people that we were speaking to at the time, the people we were trying to get advice from, it seemed like it probably wasn't going to work.
0: And you met Matt at uh, McKinsey, Mm. so how long were you working with him before you hatched this idea together? Uh,
2: We never worked together. So um, McKinsey takes in a bunch of graduates every year and you join in a a batch. Uh, And we were in the same batch and kind of bonded in our training week. Um, And we'd have lunch together every week and just have really interesting conversations and chats about what we'd want to do with our lives um, and eventually decided that actually we should try and build something together uh, and came up with a variety of really bad ideas um, and then went decided that we didn't know what we were doing, we should go and get proper jobs um, and I went and got a job at Google and um, Matt was sort of still unclear about what he wanted to do and started the very initial idea for Entrepreneur First. And after doing that for a month, he was like, literally the day that I was signing my contract for Google, he was like, don't do that. Come and do this with me? Um, and I just knew in my gut that I would always regret it. Whatever happened, I'd always regret it if I didn't. So did. And um, it was one of those things where literally everyone was just like, but think of the free food. How can you do this? Think of the free food. Think of the benefits. It's
1: good free food.
2: <laughs> um, uh, but it was definitely the right choice. I oh. think...
1: How was, uh, how was it funded to begin with?
2: So for about two years, it was, it was a running joke of, um, you know, it wouldn't be great if we had a business model. Uh, and we just sold corporate sponsorship. Um, mm-hmm. We sold anything we could to try and get corporates to give us cash. Uh, so we'd be like, you can recruit everyone. Or, you know, we'll give you tons of PR. Our brand is really strong in the startup world. You know, it's just all... Oh, we were grabbing at straws. Um, mm-hmm. But we did manage to... Uh, get together enough cash to do the first six months um and then we were selling this program where people were going to have to be with us for another six months we had no way of paying for it so it really was kind of hand to mouth of just trying to get any corporate cash in um but i yeah i think i I wouldn't recommend that having a business model that doesn't scale with what you do doesn't really work
0: did you have some serious barriers to break down people to get to trust you with your vision Mm. like you know how did that all come about because again um, you guys were you didn't have any track record. Yeah. And so taking people's cash to give to other people who don't have any track record to mm. run their own shit, it's just a very risky model. And I mean, you've obviously proven yourself now, but how, uh, t- take us through those early days at like how you actually convince people.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, in the, so the really weird thing that we were doing was um, working with people pre-team and pre ideas so we're just taking individuals and saying that magically somehow we would put them into teams with ideas. And I didn't, we didn't realize how hard that was going to be. And it was really, really hard. And it took us about three years to work out how to do that in a reasonably reliable way. Um, but we didn't invest for the first year. The first group of people that came and um, did the program, we didn't give them any money at all. We had no, we had no money to give them, so we just gave them um, slightly ropey support. Uh, and it wasn't until year three that we um, were properly able to start investing. And we didn't raise a fund until year four. So it took a while to kind of build up the credibility and to prove that the model worked. Um, I mean, the first six months were that sort of depressing early stage founder thing where everyone you meet who's more experienced, more grown up than you, has more years and money than you will ever have, um, was just like, oh, interesting idea. But, you know, don't do that. How about running a... um, uh, a, a jobs fair or something that you know will definitely definitely work mm-hmm. um, and it was only because we were going to and it was just university students at that stage we were going to universities and students were desperate for this there was so much low hanging fruit just so much latent demand um, and that was the piece that kept us going uh, What
0: universities did you recruit from originally?
2: We went everywhere so okay. um, for about six months I lived on British Rail which wasn't pleasant uh, so Edinburgh Imperial Surrey Canterbury, uh, Manchester, Exeter, I mean, you name it, we went there. And you
0: mentioned uh, first couple of years, you didn't Mm -hmm. have any funds to offer, it's only in your third year that you were able to invest. So do you see any notable difference between those cohorts? I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. and and what is, like all startups, I'm sure the obvious answer is year one, cohorts not Mm -hmm. quite as well supported as year three, but do you see any correlation Mm -hmm. in that or are there some outliers?
2: Um, So we were able to, we had a sort of angel group connected to us in the second year. So we were able to give, uh, invest cash, although we weren't doing the investing in the second year. Um, I mean, being able to, one of the unusual things we do is we give individuals money pre-team and pre-idea. And that definitely opened the doors. So uh, having three months funded to think about starting a startup and work out what idea you should work on and what team you should work in. Um, that definitely changed the game. So people suddenly felt that they could take the risk, um, and that they could pay to live in London and all those other kind of like life admin things. Um, so that that did make a difference.
1: Are you are you also putting teams together or people together mm. as you're doing it? So you're a bit like the Simon Cowell of the world.
2: Well, I guess, I guess yeah, I in, in
0: in your own words, why don't you describe Entrepreneur yeah. First for <laughs> us and our listeners? Uh,
2: so Entrepreneur First helps um, the world's most ambitious technologists. Build startups from scratch so we take 100 uh, individuals every six months they usually have computer science engineering backgrounds um, and we take them through a process of building their team developing their idea finding their customers going through the investment process scaling um, and we've just at the second fund that we've just raised means that we now work with companies from the point where they're individuals with nothing all the way through to series a Uh, so we can now provide a lot more support and funding along the way as well Um, But yeah, so we see ourselves as a a company builder, basically. So we build teams from scratch, we develop ideas from scratch, um, and we spent the last five years learning how to do that most effectively. And how much
0: time do you get to personally spend on the ideas? Do you Hmm. you influence ideas? Do you get to see every single idea that comes out? You know, how much time do you actually get to play? Because that sounds like the fun part.
2: (laughs) It's the fun part. Um, So as the company's been growing, um, uh, I spend less time directly with the companies, Um, but still have a bird's eye view of everything that's going on. Uh, In terms of ideas we do a lot of influencing Um, I think one of the hard things is to know what a good idea looks like when you aren't part of the startup scene and you haven't seen a ton of ideas and all the rest of it. Uh, So a lot of what we do is help people find the right idea for them Um, so everyone has to have an edge, so everyone has to have something that they either know about, not necessarily a problem but they know about an industry um, or they have a piece of technology that they can build uh, and then they need to use that to develop an idea
0: um what have been your three greatest successes whilst running entrepreneur first and what are your three favorite company ideas
2: um so in terms of successes the most visible one that we've had to date is uh magic pony technology which um was a company that was 18 months old that we sold to twitter for a reported 150 million dollars earlier this year Um, and that was a company that was building visual processing technology so um, anything around video compression and things like that, uh, and love it. I
0: love how it's like Pied Piper from Silicon Valley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, and that was that was a great company that had grown very very quickly and was building working on just some incredible technology, very valuable technology. How many
0: employees did they have when they sold? Uh,
2: Fifteen. Um, I think the CEO was the only one that didn't have a PhD. Wow. Um, and so, how much
1: did they raise uh, to that point?
2: Uh, it's undisclosed
1: until now <laughs> until now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when rich but you have guesses. to wait <laughs> have to wait until the end of the podcast to hear <laughs> worth a
1: try right yeah <laughs>
2: um so i think you know that's our most visible success and for us it was a great validation of the model so you can take two people who've never met each other before who have come in with no clear idea of what they want to work on and you can help them build a valuable company in mm. a reasonably short amount of time um i suppose in terms of like ef company successes uh, this year has been a really big year for us. So raising a forty million pound fund, um, I think five years ago we would never have believed that people would uh, allow us to manage that much money, um, uh, and using that as well to grow the team. So we went from this time last year we were eight people, we're now forty people in two countries. Um, so
0: in Singapore as well, right?
2: Yeah, we just opened an office in Singapore, which is going really well, um, and. I'm very proud of the team that we have around us. Uh, we have some amazing people, some of whom have been with us almost since the beginning, um, others of whom have joined us recently, but have completely thrown themselves into what we believe and the culture and all the rest of it. Uh, so I think that's definitely one of our successes. Um, and the third piece, I mean, I think, so uh, one of the, one of the, you could compare EF to Teach First, I think in one way, and that's kind of changing the way that people see their career options. Um, and, and the,
0: the first.
2: <laughs> and the first, yes. <laughs> so two ways. <laughs> <laughs> two ways. But the most important way is, you know, teach first changed the way that people saw teaching as a career. It made it much sexier. You um, saw more and more people aspiring to be teachers. Um, and what we're seeing is more and more people are aspiring, see entrepreneurship as an aspirational career path. Um, and one stat which I love is that at one top university, um, more people now join EF than the entirety of the financial services sector. Uh, i just think that's really cool
1: that is amazing very cool out of the 40 people you've got how mm. many and um, what are the kind of jobs that are people doing are, do you have like shared resource within that your companies can kind of use or are these primarily people just kind of sifting through applications and stuff
2: um so uh we have a team that finds the people so we speak to about three thousand people every year and we whittle that down to the 200 we end up working with um, we have a team that works directly with the companies. Um, so we have six partners who are all exited entrepreneurs who work directly with the companies on a day-to-day basis. Um, we have a tech team in house. Uh, we have a ops team. We have to do tons of work on visas, unfortunately, because mm. um, we take uh, we have a very international talent base. Um, so everyone's everyone's kept pretty busy. Uh, but we're yeah, we're in some ways, we are like a fund in that we deploy capital. And in other ways, we're much more like a company in that we have, a, you know, kind of we produce a product and yeah. we have an operating team. This next <laughs>
0: section is all about you. So we're just going to try and work out how interesting you really are.
2: Oh, God.
0: Yes. So question number one. Have you ever been arrested?
2: No, or even not yet.
0: Not yet. Better. 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 Absolutely. Tell us something unusual about you that not many people know.
2: Uh, When I was growing up, I was obsessed with goats, and I had nine.
0: Goats are like second to cats on the internet. Very popular. I know. Popular. But do I found know? Obsessed. I'm obsessed with I, cats. Know. <laughs> I know. I feel the same way. I'm like I swear, I was really into cats before <laughs> yeah. anyone else was into it. And now I'm a goat fan. Yeah. You had nine You had nine goats.
2: Yeah, I started off with two, and then the obsession grew, as did the t- tiny herd. But they're just like they're like dogs, but better. They're so loyal. They're really amusing. The ones, they're very or loving. did
1: they grow into big ones?
2: Uh, we had a. Little ones and big ones, so Pygmy uh, and British Sarn, and if you know your great goat, be- goat breeds.
0: Alice, how do you see yourself? Who is the glorious Alice Bentink? And describe yourself how do you think other people see you.
2: uh Well, I suppose I think one of the hard things about being a founder or entrepreneur or whatever it is where do you stop and the company start and how much do those two things merge? Because you just do spend so much of your life uh, with the company and in the company and around the company. Um, <laughs> but having said that, uh, I don't know, that's a really hard one. I see myself as, I suppose I really relate to myself when I'm on the sofa watching Netflix, binging on Penny Sweets um but i would hope that isn't how most people see me mm, um, yeah i think you've probably got a better
0: public <laughs> persona than that you know the idea the idea that actually you're a layabout is probably <laughs> yeah. how most people see you Rich there's a trend going it? on here because
1: alithia said that oh, yeah, she, uh, she just sits at home watching not all the time obviously she's a successful business oh she, she watches says, Trashy TV yeah, doesn't yeah quite on. a lot of like series she was very knowledgeable mm. on, on so the Netflix catalogue
2: but there's something about Trashy TV that when you're at work and because you are working so much you have to be so switched on all the time that the light relief of total total trash um, is is it's just like it's like Penny Sweets for the brain it's amazing
0: interesting so um, you know any other deep insights into how you wish people saw you
2: I wish people saw me um well this should be aspirational right sure uh, as the next leader of the ai revolution that will control the ai machine that will eventually run the world
0: interesting i
2: don't think quite there yet though
0: no yeah um what with the fact that you don't actually have a company that's even slightly <laughs> investigating ai personally and therefore i'm assuming don't actually we, work we, a day in ai i think
2: we're the biggest investment in ai companies than anyone else in europe really yeah
0: that doesn't make you specifically the person in That's control of it, all though. That's I see. Time. I see. Okay. There's all these takeovers. <laughs> There's basically what she's trying to say is if you are joining entrepreneur first, then check the legals because at <laughs> some point she
1: will be in control of all of the AI you're developing. Well, whilst we talking about AI, it's, it's quite a deep question, but mm. I was talking to somebody about it the other day. What do you think will be the future of mankind in mm. terms of, like, our, the general person's job uh, prospects and things like that? If you look at, you know, mm. how certain uh, jobs are going out uh, don't exist anymore, like in yeah. checkout, checkout tills, yeah. it's all machines. In and Tesla's factory, it's all machines. In a lot of car factories, mm. it's all machines. Um, with AI, that accelerates uh, job losses in certain areas a lot yeah. more. Is that self-destructive?
2: Well, I think... You've got to look at it as AI is coming and it's going to happen and um, governments can't control it uh, and aren't um, and probably shouldn't be trying to control it. They're probably the wrong institutions to try and control it. Um, so then how can we make whatever change AI brings to the workforce a positive one, not a negative one? Um, I don't know what the answer is on that, but uh, I think it's something we probably need to think more about as a country um but it's very hard when you don't know is it 10 years is it 15 years or is it 50 years Um, and when you have governments that are in power for only four or five years at a time i think it's very hard and they're not technically minded um i think it's very hard for them to plan in that way um and i think it will cause lots of social upheaval um but we need to try and work out how that can be a positive thing rather than a kind of human destroying thing
1: because i guess governments have this conflict that they want um you know AI is all about Mm. efficiency and using machines to their full potential yet um a lot of populations survive from the inefficiencies of certain things like you Mm. know people are in jobs because they are carrying out tasks that can't be carried out by computers and are inefficient things and I think that governments have a tricky job to Mm. essentially manage that won't they
2: yeah yeah I think I think they've got a big job on their hands in terms of working out what's next. Nice. I think I
0: think the argument, the long-term argument, is actually you're just trying to retrain a population into tech and you know deeper sciences where they can contribute to other AI-based resources rather than farming, rather than some of the more manual things, and that's kind of the longer-term concept. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got like you say, you don't know the time frame on it, and you've got Moore's law fighting against yeah. you. So coming back to the topic of Alice Benting, mm. do you feel successful?
2: Oh, I think the moment you feel successful, you've probably lost it. Um, as in, it's, it's a con- like building a startup is a constant battle against not dying. And the moment that you kind of get to a steady state, you have to make that choice about whether you want to break it to make something bigger. Um, so I think... I think believing you're successful is the kind of thing you can do at the end of your life and look back. Um, But I think there's just so, uh, I think it's something you continuously work at.
0: But wouldn't you say that Mark Zuckerberg feels successful and Facebook's probably not going anywhere?
2: Well, I think it'd be really interesting to to ask him that. Does he, but does he perceive himself as successful or is this Mm -hmm. just the start of something bigger that he wants to do? Um, and yes, he's already done a lot, but maybe his ambition is larger than what he's already created. I, mean, yeah, I, don't
0: know. I guess there's a common theme to never really be satisfied with yeah. where you are and just consistently be moving because you're yeah. always future planning. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, you mentor startups all over the country. So who mentors you?
2: Uh, I mean, Matt, Matt and I are very lucky that we've got a amazing group of people around us. Um, I think one of the things I would say about mentorship is thinking about what it. Uh, what's it for um and I think it's sometimes really hard to have one mentor that can do everything um and a recent investment that's been absolutely amazing is having a professional coach and we've now got an unbelievable professional coach who has we've worked with her for a year now and um I think she can take credit for a lot of the positive changes over the last year to the business and to me as a human um
0: and do you do you share her with some of your teams then? Like, how does that work? That uh, so, we I use the
2: same the same um, mm-hmm. coach, and that works really well because we do a session separately and a session together. Um, and we've started using uh, the problem with coaches is that they're not very scalable. Yes. Um, so we now use a variety of coaches with our teams. Um, and broadly, I think it's one of those things that maybe it's like therapy. I haven't had therapy, but it's one of those things that people don't really talk about. Um, but it's so valuable. Uh, so yeah, I would encourage everyone to get a professional coach regardless of you're, whether you're a founder or not.
0: Fair enough. Um, who is the most inspiring person you've ever met
2: and why? To be really cheesy, the cohort that we get to work with. I mean, the reason why this job is fun is um, because every six months we work with 100 people who are building stuff that the people two cohorts ago couldn't build just because the technology hadn't even been... It, it wasn't possible mm-hmm. at that stage. Um, things are changing so, so quickly that... Uh, I'm always kept on my toes as in there is the amount of learning that we have to do around the space that we're working in is uh you have to update it constantly um and so seeing all these amazing people taking the risk to do something like EF um quitting amazing jobs and then building ideas that hopefully will be not only the next billion dollar company but also make a substantial change to the way that humans live uh I think that's Pretty inspiring. <laughs>
0: what do you actually get up to when you aren't busy running EF? Do you get time for other interests mm. or is it just couch potato or super hard work? <laughs>
2: um, no, I would... I In an ideal world, I would fill um, my flat with goats, but uh, it's probably not... I don't know what the RSPCA would say about that. Mm. Um, so... Uh, very London, like, eating, drinking, friends, So city life, yeah. City life. Um, I was brought up in the New Forest, so I'm a big fan of going back there for... uh, My boyfriend always says that I act like I'm 15 when I'm at home, which I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, Uh, but it's that kind of... We don't know what you were like at 15, (laughs) but that doesn't sound like a good thing. Imagine lots of goats. Crazy (laughs) goat. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think one of the hard things as a founder is you. it's hard to have... uh, I find it hard to have multiple different interests and competing as in like life maintenance while running a a company can be hard. So um, I invest heavily in friends and friendships and making sure I spend lots of time with the people that I've known for decades. Uh, And I find that probably the most revitalizing and invigorating thing.
0: You touched on this earlier, you said, you know, you haven't done therapy, for example, but you imagine Mm. it's very good, very healthy and you Mm. have coaching for yourself, for your team and, you know, you speak a lot to your friends and actually that kind of normality is very healthy Mm -hmm. for you. But there's a lot of discussion in the ecosystem and there's a lot of zeitgeist around mental strength, around Mm -hmm. resilience. Um, What's your actual take on founder mental health? Do you have any specific sections uh, or teachings at EF around that with your teams?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the mental burden of being a founder is, yeah, it's hard and it probably isn't talked about as much as it could be. Um, One of the... Uh, books that completely change the way that I think about this is Mindset by Carol Dweck Uh, and my team always take the piss because uh, I'm completely obsessed by it Um, and growth mindset is something that's now taught in schools everywhere Um, if you go into a school of 16 year olds and ask them about growth mindset they all know about it Mm -hmm. Um, but our generation hasn't necessarily come across it and it's broadly this idea that everything you do is a learning experience Um, and that different people approach that in different ways so some people see failure as I am a failure because I failed I as a person I'm a failure Um, and they take that to heart and it affects how they see it affects their self-esteem whereas if you have a growth mindset every failure every kind of knock you see as a learning experience and use that to get better Um, and so this idea I think for founders you know when you're reading something like shit this is exactly what we need um, so we now select, uh, select people based on their growth mindset. It's one of the things that we look for, and it's helping people think about every failure and knock as a founder is actually a learning experience. Like you can take something positive away from it, and it just means that all the knocks aren't knocks, they're actually just steps. Um, so it's something that when I think about how to uh, remain resilient and um, all the rest of it, I think growth mindset has really helped um and it's something that we're trying to do more and more of generally around ef
0: okay so it's, it's more about like a, an entire thesis rather than um, specific practices that you like, like put upon people so to speak you know yeah okay. yeah yeah um so it's not like sort of uh, cultural attitude towards right uh friday 4 p.m <laughs> we're doing meditation there's nothing like that sort of set in stone there
2: uh no we don't we have you know people run yoga in the office and um uh other bits and pieces but uh I think, the, I think the mindset stuff has been the biggest change that we've made.
0: Okay, and what do you personally do to stay in shape and keep an active, healthy mind? So yoga, working out, meditation, all the normal things, mm. give us some health hacks. Uh,
2: so my I'm very uh, hyperactive and very lazy at the same time. Um, so I want to be able to exercise, but not put any effort into it. So cycle everywhere, all the time. Um, and then the other thing is uh, pop sugar videos. They're 10 minutes. So get up, run out of bed, uh, put on ten minutes of YouTube, Pop Sugar, and um, they do these kind of crazy intense workouts that you do. Pop
0: Sugar is in the media company. Pop Sugar. Yeah, Pop Sugar Fitness, okay. and mm-hmm. they have
2: these super peppy like American uh, women who you wake up and you're like half asleep and you've barely been awake for kind of three minutes, and then you're you know doing burpees or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're just like, you you can't help but get into it. Yeah, um, and it's sharp, painful, and then you're done.
0: Um, are you religious? Are you spiritual? Uh,
2: I'm not religious. Uh, I'm, not, well, I'm not. I'm not sure what spiritual means. So it probably means I'm not.
0: Or do you believe in a higher power? or Are you too scientific for that?
2: Um, I think probably too scientific. Um...
0: Just believe in AI.
2: <laughs>
1: so
0: you just believe in the paperclip theory, and essentially we're all <laughs> fucked. But
1: so you might you might have heard of Elon Musk's theory, or I don't know where he got it from that he thinks we're in a simulation mm. and. Do you think that that's what we are? We're in a simulation and essentially we're in the Matrix? Uh,
2: I, I don't think we are in a simulation, but if we are, it's, it's not that bad.
1: Because I guess you could say that if we are the same argument as he had, that mankind has survived to put us in a simulation. So that's, you know, the Earth hasn't blown up. Thank God.
0: Or, well, yeah, I guess it just about hasn't, right? Just, God knows what it looks like outside of these walls. (laughs) Um, And these are pretty depressing walls to be recording in as well, to be fair. (laughs) So he's not done a great job with this matrix simulation, i to be honest. (laughs) Um, Okay, people say entrepreneurs are crazy and you know more than most. Mm. So are they crazy? And do you think you're crazy?
2: We look for megalomania. I think there is, or personal exceptions, and this kind of... uh, the world could literally explode, implode, whatever, but you would be okay. That The people who have that belief. And maybe that's crazy or maybe that's just what it takes to get through. Um, So I think think it's very fashionable to be crazy um, and it's very fashionable for founders to have a big kind of extreme personality. Um, And I think founders are uh, often at extremes. Um, But I think the, I suppose the common theme of, crazy and maybe it's crazy or maybe it's not is this kind of personal exceptionalism this belief that you'll be okay even if everything else fails even if the world ends you'll be okay
0: Mm. fair okay so uh last section is on regrets and mistakes so Mm. starting negatively as we always would any regrets
2: i think with the the growth mindset um mantra you're not not meant to have regrets uh I don't think I do have any regrets. I think regrets, um, if I think they can be quite pernicious and make life much harder if you hold on to them. So I'd say lots of failures and mistakes, but um, no regrets.
0: Okay, fine. What is your biggest personality flaw then? So can you give our um, listeners some insight into how to be less like you?
2: <laughs> uh, so I think one of the hard things about being a founder uh and being part of a company that grows very quickly is um wanting to be in everything and actually it's really fun to be in everything and there are some really small decisions that are quite fun to make uh but actually for your team it's just really annoying for you to be constantly being like oh I've got an idea um so I think uh yeah don't don't and it's not even micromanagement necessarily it's more just like oh let me be involved uh and I think particularly as a company grows being able to step back and uh, focus on the bigger bigger picture um So I'd probably say
0: that. Okay, fair enough. So you look quite serious in a lot of your photos, but you've always seemed pretty chill to me and maybe that's just because you have never had to manage me. But do you actually get pissed off? What pisses you off?
2: On the photo thing, it's so, why do people want to take grumpy pictures? People always are like, no smiling. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's true. Um, It really pisses me off when people drive too close when you're cycling on purpose. I think that is unfair and stupid. a cyclist can be dicks. We can all be dicks sometimes, but uh, I think trying to trying to make a point by endangering someone's life is um, uh, pretty annoying.
0: Yep, I think that's very fair. I Totally agree. Uh, so, cyclist uh, cyclist perspective is a pedestrian less annoying than a uh, car driver.
2: I sometimes find pedestrians more scary, and I know I probably do this as a pedestrian as well. Um, is the randomly walking out into traffic thing mm-hmm. um, because they are you aren't necessarily expecting it.
0: What's the number one thing you see young entrepreneurs doing that winds you up more than most? Uh,
2: Everyone comes up with the same ideas, um, unfortunately. Uh, And it's not, it's definitely not their fault. Um, But I think uh, one of the the reasons EF exists is to help people realise what a good idea looks like and to come up with something that could potentially be a really big company. Um, But isn't it
0: all about execution? So does it really matter that everyone comes up with the same idea?
2: Well, (laughs) You want to give yourself the best chance of building a big company right and you also want to think about what skills you have that mean you would be the best founder and i think the uh the problem that we often see is that people want to start companies that have no connection with any of their skills or knowledge or any of their background um and i think that's the that's often the missing piece so it's uh it's just saying to people okay cool well why are you the best person to start this company what do you know what do you know about it what are the skills that you have what's the competitive advantage you have
0: so don't hold back on this question, but what's mm. the worst business concept you've ever been pitched for EF?
2: We get the same ideas over and over again. So anything around um, dating, probably I've heard every dating idea that's ever existed. Mm. Uh, and um, probably food delivery as well. We get every every variation you can imagine on food delivery we, we have seen, um, but it's often from people who have... Uh, a um, you know a PhD in artificial intelligence um, and they uh, they just don't see the connection between what they could build and what they should build and there's tons of people who should build amazing food delivery startups but it's probably not um, somebody who has a PhD in AI uh, so yeah I mean we're, we're in a weird position that we do see lots of um, ideas but they're very unformed in that they're not actually startups.
0: Okay fair enough what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
2: Uh, strong beliefs weekly held Strong belief? Strong beliefs, weakly weekly held. Oh, nice. Uh, So, and I think this is a really useful thing for um, founders at any stage of, uh, well, particularly actually at the early stages where you just, you don't know what you're meant to be doing and it's all terrifying and you don't know which direction to go in. Um, But that just leads to you not making any decisions at all. Mm. So having a strong belief, going after it until you have enough data to prove you otherwise. I suppose it's like, in some ways it's like the lean startup kind of mantra of um, uh, moving and then using data to uh, iterate and change. Um, but yeah, strongly, weekly hard.
0: What advice would you give to entrepreneurs starting off right now, apart from join EF? Uh,
2: what makes you special? So think about what makes you special um, and then think about how you can use that to build something that is as big as possible. Uh, I think there is sometimes a... Um, ambition isn't celebrated in the UK. I think it's often laughed at instead of celebrated and uh don't let that stop you so um think think big and think why it's you that will um be the person that's able to make that happen
0: okay great advice and finally if you could start all over again would you rather start a VC fund from scratch or a learning and development platform like you've done with EF
2: learning and development platform
0: okay are you sure
2: yeah, I don't think I, I, I mean, EF is, uh, we have funds, but we're in many ways very different to a VC. I don't okay. think I want to be a VC. Uh,
0: would you focus on students from universities like you originally did or other concepts like people from low income households or just technologists? Like, do you, do does, you have like a focus on Does like
2: EF that? exist in this world?
0: Uh, EF exists in this world, yeah.
2: Yeah, then uh, experiment with new, uh, new segments. Okay. So it might be interesting one around um, social enterprise or charity or um, something like that.
0: Okay. Um, raise money from investors you don't get on with at all or fail? Raise money. Yeah, always raise money. Mm. Good answer. Uh, start with the same co-founder, a different co-founder or no co-founder?
2: Um, my co-founder is fantastic. So start with Matt again.
0: Fair enough. And uh, Will you start it in the UK, mainland Europe or the USA or Asia, of course, where you actually mm. have a second base?
2: Um, UK.
0: Yeah. Why?
2: Uh, I think... Um, I have a lot of of loyalty to the the UK and I think there's a lot of untapped resource and potential still here um, that creates lots of opportunities. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do.
0: Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies,
1: tips and tricks.
2: Told by leading names in sport and beyond.
1: Who know what it takes to get to the very top.
2: There will be two episodes each week, packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow.
0: Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Right, Rich, that concludes another wonderful interview with a pretty inspiring guest. And uh, thanks a lot to a lady that never fails to inspire me and many others, I'm sure. Um, If you want to hear more from people just like Alice, then how can they do that,
1: Rich? So you can subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, on Google Play Store and on SoundCloud and also YouTube. So go along there, subscribe to us and you can stay up to date and make sure that you know as soon as the next episode comes out. Um, And you can see all old uh, episodes of podcasts on secretleaders.com. If you want to get in touch with us, email us at hello at secretleaders.com.
0: So if you join us next time, you'll learn a little bit from Graham Hobson, who actually is one of my investors. So I have the pleasure of spending more and more time with him than most. But um, I mean, that's great for me. Aren't all our
1: guests your investors? (laughs) Sometimes it feels like We're just going through your cap table. Alice said no. Okay.
0: So I mean, she's she's too smart for that. Um, But he is one of the nicest people that you've ever met in the industry. And uh, as you'll hear next week, but, you know, he recently sold Photobox for a reported 400 million pounds, though he never confirms it and does squirm a little when it's brought up but that is the story um so he's been on quite the journey and it's definitely a story worth listening to so there's no time to waste just go along like rich says search for the secret lives of leaders on any of those channels and listen away thank you very much see you next time bye